0: Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment and sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton. That's right. We are Wagering Week. Guys... We have a lot to talk about today and we're going to get into it, but I want to hear from you. Facebook and Twitter, that is how you get in touch with us at SportsCon, G A R T E N, hashtag S G N. The number is 855 number four, G A R T E N, iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates. And yes, guys, we have a ton to get into. I know that we're in baseball season, I get it. Hockey's coming to a close. But we're going to talk today a lot about the NFL. We're going to have Chuck T.L. mill fantasy expert on, breaking down what happened in the NFL draft from a fantasy perspective. From a fantasy perspective is not from an NFL perspective, right? I can tell you right now, I am a huge Trevor Lawrence fan. I love Trevor Lawrence. I might get a jersey of Trevor Lawrence, right? I already went in on Trevor Lawrence, a little MVP talk. But in my fantasy league, hey, he's definitely not a, the first eight quarterbacks off my board. Might not be the first 10 quarterbacks off my board. I don't even know if he's going to be a starter in 12 quarterback leagues. I mean, this is what we're looking at. So yeah, that's going to be an interesting segment. We're going to talk about the winners, the losers, and it doesn't only include rookies. We're going to get into that with Chuck T. But I want to get into a little NBA first. We will have Ben Golliver joining us. And Ben Golliver is a national NBA writer for the Washington Post. He was in the bubble, guys. And he just wrote a book about being in the bubble. So we'll get into some of that. But as the NBA season is kind of winding down here, I want to have a conversation about some of the best teams against the spread and what they're doing, right? So sitting right at the top are teams that make some sense. It makes sense that these teams would be at the top. The New York Knicks are the number one covering team right now in the entire sport. They're the number one covering team because they were supposed to be generally woefully bad. I mean, look, if you really turn around and you really look at what the New York Knicks were and what they were supposed to be, most people had them, even the most adamant Knicks fan, at the bottom of the barrel. There was a point earlier this week where they had the same record as the Lakers. Now, I get it. The Lakers are banged up. I get it. But let's not take it away from the Knicks, who are anywhere between 8 and 10 games over five hundred for the last couple of weeks here. The New York Knicks are sitting as a four-seed. Okay, you look at the New York Knicks and you go, "Wow!" So that makes sense. They're sitting as a four seed. They're the number one covering team right now. And you look at the number at sixty-five, sixty-six percent cover rate. The public is still not buying in. This is a team you can still take advantage of. And I'll tell you what: when they get to the playoffs, right, and the Knicks are going to sit there and they're probably going to face, uh, you know, they're going to face an Atlanta, maybe a Miami or whatnot. They're going to be underdogs in those games, too. So I don't think that this is just a regular season. Take advantage. I think you can take advantage fully. How about the Phoenix Suns? They're the number two covering team overall. The number two covering team overall has the best record in the NBA. Now, I think that there were some people that thought Phoenix could make a push. They could make a playoff push. You had Utah. You had the Clippers. You had Denver. You had the Lakers. You had Portland. You know, people penciled them in. And then you add the teams like, would Dallas make it? Would Golden State make it? You know, would Memphis make it? San Antonio, where the Pelicans were a hot team people liked. Uh, obviously, people in before the year had Houston. And then Phoenix. They were on the bottom level. Well, they have the best record in the NBA. So for them to still be covering, that means the perception is people still not buying in. The Memphis Grizzlies come next. Memphis is a team trying to hang on to that play-in game spot. They're about a 500 team, but they're a 500 team that nobody believed should be anywhere near here. This is a 500 team that is led by John Morant, but he was injured early in the season as well. That's the Memphis Grizzlies. You then have Washington, a team that people believed would be dead last. Look, I had Larry Hughes on the show. Larry Hughes does a a Believe podcast all about this, and I've had his partner on the show, and even the most adamant Washington Wizards fan would never have told you that Washington would be pushing for a playoff spot. Pushing for a playoff spot over the likes of the Toronto Raptors. Okay, That's where Washington is. Again, if you're supposed to be a bad team, the public is going to continue to look at you as a bad team, even if you're performing well, Then you get this against the spread numbers. The other teams making money, Utah, San Antonio, Clippers, Atlanta, Philly, Detroit. Well, Philly, Clippers, Utah, San Antonio, they're all kind of, and even Atlanta, you know, they're all uh, playoff teams. It makes sense. They're a little bit over where they should be. I get it. Detroit's an interesting number because Detroit is so bad that they're actually making money if you just bet on Detroit every night, which means they're just inflated numbers out there. Right, Detroit is sitting here, and they're they're battling Houston for the worst record in the NBA, and people just pile on. Right, ah, Detroit's terrible. They just pile on. Let's take a look at the other side of the spectrum, because the other side of the spectrum, there's a lot of teams that are in that 50% cover range. When I say 50%, I mean 48.5, 51.5. Uh, you know that that runs the gamut. Then you have um, a handful of teams. And by the way, those teams, let me give them to you. That's Charlotte, Chicago, Portland, Brooklyn, Orlando, Minnesota. Then you have the teams that are just under 48%. Teams like Denver, Dallas, Milwaukee, New Orleans, Golden State. Even Boston. Even OKC is only a half a percentage point out of that. Then you have the bad covering teams. The bad covering teams, Toronto, The Lakers, Miami, Sacramento, all about 45% or less. And it makes sense. Toronto was supposed to be a lot better. Toronto may not make the playoffs. The Lakers are a team that you look at just massive injuries. But because they're the Lakers, they're still going to get a lot of recognition. Okay? Miami went to the championship last year. They're not playing that well. Sacramento is a team that you sit back and you take a look at Sacramento. I thought Sacramento was going to be one of the worst teams in the league. Eh, They still are. Okay, but they are a team that even when they're getting a large number, they can't cover. They're getting their doors blown off. I mean, let's just say it. Then you have the three really bad teams at 40% cover rate or less. At 40% cover rate, you have the Indiana Pacers. Now, Indiana right now is a playoff team and they're fighting for a playoff race, but they're under 500 because, well, There's the difference between being under 500 in the East where you're fighting for a playoff spot and being under 500 in the West where you're out of the playoffs. Indiana right now is fighting for a playoff spot. Indiana can't cover, though. Indiana is a team that it seems ho-hum. Right, They're not very good at home. They're horrible. They're actually a better away team. And people look at the home number. So the books increase that home number. Well, they look at that home number. They increase it. Why? Well, Indiana's going to be their home team. So this makes some sense. Then you go to Cleveland. Cleveland's hovering right around 35%. Well, Cleveland is one of the worst three teams in the NBA right? I mean, they are right there. And Cleveland is a team that, again, at home, they're a little bit better than on the road, but they can't seem to win at all anywhere. And they have just gone into a death spiral here. They're 1-10 in the last 10 games, lost seven in a row earlier this week. I mean, the Cleveland Cavs are just in a bad, bad way. And when you're in a bad way, you're getting losing. You're not only losing, you're getting your doors blown off. That'll lead to a bad against the spread number. And finally, we have Houston, Houston traded everybody. Houston's the worst team in the league. But Houston's such a bad team that they are just getting blasted. It doesn't matter what you set the number at. Houston isn't losing games, guys. Houston is going out there and getting humiliated. They're getting their doors blown off. Houston's going to have the number one overall pick, right? There's not a lot of green when you scroll down to Houston and you see what they're doing. Because, sure... You look at some games where you go, eh, you know what, that was ugly on the defensive side. But man, they scored 87 last week against Golden State at home. They scored 97 against New York at home. 89 and 91 in back-to-back games two weeks ago. This team just can't flat-out score. And their defense isn't very good either. So that makes sense for against the spread teams. Uh, It's an NBA season that I know it's coming down to the end. It's winding down here. But as the NBA starts to wind down, the second season begins. And if you look at my numbers and my record, I don't bet a lot of regular season NBA games. I like totals, but I won't bet a lot of regular season NBA games. Once the playoffs start, I really believe we get a reset. We get a reset at the league. We get a reset at looking at things from a different perspective. And that reset really does mean something. And you find angles. I'm going to talk to Ben Goliver, and Ben Goliver was inside the bubble. One of the angles I've run with that I'm going to talk to him about is I think that last year's bubble, last year's schedule, last year's grind is going to have an effect on this year's betting numbers and on the teams I'm going to be looking at. His new book is Bubble Ball, Inside the NBA's Fight to Save a Season. This is a good read. You guys want to go check this out. Ben, how you doing today? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So, yeah, look, we were in a very strange season in the bubble ball, as the name of the book says. And, you know, I... You got full access. I want to kind of ask you because I have heard many different ways around what it was to be inside the bubble. I've heard uh, almost a fraternity feel. I have heard that, you know, it was a party feel. Then I've heard people go, you know what? It didn't feel like we were locked down. It was different perspectives. From your perspective, give us a sense of what the feel was like inside the bubble.
1: Well, I think the entire experience was incredibly challenging. I mean, there was a real big brother aspect to it. You know, we had to wear these devices called proximity alarms around our necks, which would beep if we got too close to each other. We had electronic tracking bracelets to get into our hotel rooms that would track our movements around campus. There was four layers of security, NBA security, Disney security, local police and sheriff, uh, in addition to video surveillance tracking our every moves. We weren't allowed into each other's hotel rooms really for any reason. When we first got there, we were stuck inside of our hotel rooms for a one week quarantine where I was just pacing back and forth in my hotel room eight steps at a time, trying to get my Fitbit steps, feeling like a, uh, you know, uh, a hamster in a cage, right? Um, you know, it was it was very challenging. But at the same time, the flip side, this was a basketball fan's Garden of Eden, right? I mean, you're talking about being able to go see every single playoff game, uh, you know, just back-to-back in, in nearby gyms. In a typical day, I was seeing up to eight Hall of Fame players in a single eight-hour period. So it was like the greatest AAU tournament or the greatest summer league of all time. So I think that there was some real pros, some real cons to the experience, but I remember it as being sensory overload, just being an absolute blur. And in some moments being very emotionally heavy, including the shutdown around the Jacob Blake shooting, And of course, the Breonna Taylor ruling as well.
0: What about the decision makers? Or, you know, at the top, we always say, well, the NBA did this and the NBA decided on Disney World and the NBA did this." Well, the NBA has to have people behind it, right? Who are the decision makers to say, you know, let's choose Disney World and then, um, you know, be able to execute this the way that it was executed?
1: Well, I mean, the the biggest decision makers would have been Adam Silver um, from the NBA, uh, Michelle Roberts from the Players Union, along with Chris Paul who did a really important job of rallying the superstars to the cause and getting them to buy in uh, because this bubble never takes place if the stars aren't on board. Right. And then of course, Bob Iger from Disney, who's got a real vested interest because of that company's relationship with ESPN. And obviously they're the broadcast partner for a lot of these NBA games. Right. So those were the high level thinkers. Of course, TNT was involved as well, Turner sports. Uh, But I think a lot of the motivation was shared really by the NBA owners and players because they realize this is going to be billions of dollars gone if they can't find a way to salvage the season. And so I thought the Disney world solution was very creative. Now, me personally, I don't like Disney movies. I don't have any kids. I hate amusement parks and I hate standing in lines. Right? So this was like almost when I first heard about it, I was like, this could be a nightmare, but we got down there, you know, and, and actually I actually really enjoyed it cause it was completely empty. It was like a ghost town. And, uh, you know, the NBA just descended on this uh, completely um, you know, vacated uh, amusement park property and held a fascinating and very high level postseason um, in these gyms that would typically host like high school uh, sporting events, you know, or or volleyball tournaments. And so I was sitting up close watching these games feel like Rihanna or Jack Nicholson courtside. And it was a real treat, uh, even though it was very, very difficult.
0: Guys, we're on the phone with Ben Goliver. Bubble Ball, Inside the NBA's Fight to Save a Season, is the new book. Go check it out. Uh, Ben, what was the stress level like? day in and day out, that this would all be shut down? Because I could tell you from a sports bettor's perspective, a fan's perspective, a watcher's perspective, I, I, I was almost counting down, like, uh-oh, uh-oh, I, I hope they get this in. Oh, I, I hope I hope it continues. I hope it's going to be okay. Is That's the stress level that we had just watching from the outside. How much more was it for you guys? Or did you feel, you know what, we're going to get this done?
1: No, it started off very stressful. I mean, I consulted with a number of doctors before I even went down there to determine whether this was a smart thing for me to do just From my own personal health and safety standpoint once they gave me the okay i felt a little bit uh, more comfortable but as soon as i got down there i started doing interviews with media people around the world and they would almost always ask like do you think you're going to die is there going to be a big outbreak like what's going to happen and that really raised my stress level right back up i'll tell you after about two or three weeks though we started to get the results from the tests and that really provided a peace of mind because now we realize nobody's testing positive None of these games are being delayed. This thing's going to work. And so from that standpoint, um, I felt better pretty quickly while we were down there. I actually packed uh, my dress suits and I told myself, look, you're not going to get to wear these suits until the finals. Right. And when I first brought them down, I was like, man, you're probably not even going to have to wear these things. They're probably just going to collect dust in your, uh, your hotel room closet. But sure enough, fast forward two months, uh, I was able to break them out for game one of the finals. And it was really a nice feeling of accomplishment, to be honest, it might sound a little corny, but when you're going in there, having no idea if it's going to work and worried for your own health and safety. I mean, I flew cross country with this crazy face mask on. I had rubber gloves on the plane. I mean, that was, you know, back at a time where we didn't quite know as much about the virus in the middle of the summer. And, And so I was definitely, um, on edge and, and very relieved once the whole thing came together and it worked.
0: Yeah, don't have short memories, guys. This is when Fauci said, nah, don't worry about it. You don't have to put a face mask on. Wait a minute, wait. No, no, no. Everybody wear one. Wait. Oh, well, we don't really know, <laughs> right? So, I mean, it was. We lived in a, in a weird world uh, that people auto, all automatically just seemingly forget. Um, ben what kind of effect is this going to have with teams going forward this year? Because I am hearing a lot of the fatigue factor, the mental fatigue teams that went deep into the playoffs. They didn't really have an off season here to jump back in. And now the playoffs are going to go on again. It's going to be dragged out. How much of an effect mentally as well as physically, do you think it's going to have on the good teams that had to go deep into the playoffs?
1: No, you're spot on. I mean, it's a big time uh, bubble hangover. There's no other way to look at it. You know, think about Anthony Davis he missed 68 days with his calf injury right Um, their entire offseason was 71 days so he practically doubled his his time off by having a relatively minor injury all things considered so that just tells you how quickly they had to turn things around Um, I think you've seen it from all the teams that went deep the Lakers um, Nuggets Heat and Celtics have all been a little bit underwhelming now In Denver's case, they've really caught a hot streak here recently, and they're looking like they're in pretty good shape, but they did lose Jamal Murray, unfortunately, to injury. But early in the season, I think all those teams were dealing with either protocol issues or um, other types of absences one way or the other. So, look, this has been a very challenging uh, NBA season. I think the quality of play in this year has actually been noticeably lower than it was in the bubble. I think that the lack of travel during the bubble, the fact that guys could get into rhythm, and the fact that everybody was healthy all the time on the court it really helped, uh, you know, produce a quality, quality basketball product. I'm hoping that everybody's going to be able to get back on court for these playoffs and so we can have a great postseason. But this has been a very challenging NBA year. There's no way around that.
0: You know, Ben, I want to just shift off of what happened last year. And, and I want to get your take on one of the hotly contested topics, uh, especially in the uh, NBA world where we're going, oh, OK, not the normal names up top. Who's your MVP right now? Joker's sitting here at about minus four hundred, and uh, Bead is not far behind at plus four hundred. Steph Curry's about twelve to one. Giannis got himself back into this thing at about twenty-five to one. James Harden was leading the way for a while. He's about thirty to one. Luke is thirty to one. Who's your MVP right now?
1: No, I mean take it off the board. I don't know a lot about odds, but take it off the board. This is Nikola Jokic's award. He deserves it. He's been the best player this season from start to finish. Had the biggest impact on his team's success. He's got unbelievable stats. Their record's in the right spot. They're in a good place within the Western Conference. And it's just been night after night, consistent brilliance. And I actually want to go one step further because I've heard a lot of people call him the MVP. They try to focus that on just a one year thing. To me, he has now entered the discussion as the best player overall in basketball, period. Now, that conversation is usually going to involve LeBron, Kevin Durant, Giannis, and Steph Curry. Make sure Joker's name is in that mix too. And watch what happens in this playoffs because. He's got a a track record of taking his game to the next level. Playoff Joker is a monster. Nobody wants to face the Denver Nuggets in the first round, even though they lost Jamal Murray, and make sure that Jokic gets that hardware. My favorite thing about it, though, he'll never campaign for himself, and that's always tricky. Usually narratives win the days, especially in the modern uh, sports environment, and Jokic is like the guy who says, I don't even need a narrative. Just watch me play. Watch me pass the basketball. Watch me hit these crazy one-footed jumpers. And he does all those things every single night.
0: Ben, it's been great talking to you. Again, that's Ben Golliver, author of their new book about the NBA's fight to save the 2019-2020 season, Bubble Ball. And I couldn't agree more with you on Joker. He's got it. Wrap it up. Give it to him. Ben, thank you very much. Guys, we're going to take a quick timeout. We'll be back right after this.
1: And now back to wintering Week with Tom Barton. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get the gambling before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds.
2: You're what on.
0: What are the odds? What are the odds? Well, guys... A lot of people are out there and they're asking, what about Rookie of the Year? Well, Trevor Lawrence comes in at 11-5 favorite. Justin Fields, 6-1. Trey Lance, 7-1. Also, Kyle Pitts is 7-1 as well. 10-1 Jamar Chase, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones. 15-1 Waddle and Smith. 18-1 Najee Harris on the Pittsburgh Steelers, And 30-1 to 1, Travis Entienne and Williams who was picked in the second round by the Denver Broncos. That is what are the odds i love how you throw it out there right an nfl rookie of the year it obviously skews towards quarterbacks you look at lawrence you look at fields you look at lance one two three wilson isn't all that far behind with mac jones so all five quarterbacks five at the top seven to win the rookie of the year It makes a lot of sense but in fantasy circles guys you know what Quarterbacks might not matter. They might not even... uh, First of all, they're not going to be a starter. Second of all, they may not matter. It might not matter. We're going to talk to Chuck T., our Rotomill fantasy expert, and see if it does. The NFL draft is over. It's in the books. That's it. That's the end, right? And now we're going to have to break it down. We're going to have to break it down from a fantasy perspective and from a betting perspective. We're going to welcome in Chuck T. Our Rotomill fantasy expert. Chuck, um, look, it was a huge night. Lots of trades. Lots of stuff going on. I want to talk to you about the quarterbacks because the MVP odds came out. And look, I am an unabashed Trevor Lawrence fan. I have told people that right away. To win... Nine thousand dollars. You only got to throw a hundred bucks if he wins the MVP, right? If you like Zach Wilson, hundred bucks gets you eighteen thousand dollars. You like Trey Lance? Hundred bucks gets you twelve thousand dollars. You like Justin Fields? Hundred bucks gets you fifteen thousand dollars. You like Mac Jones? Yeah, it's another $18,000 to your $100. That's the first-round quarterbacks. Look, I know it's almost impossible for a first-round quarterback to win the MVP. These odds are massive. I get that. But I do kind of find it a little interesting that, sure, Lance is there, but but Fields is a guy that might sit down. He's got better odds than Wilson and Jones, which I find uh, pretty unique. So I'm looking at the MVP odds, but from a fantasy perspective, I went on a tirade last week about Trevor Lawrence. I love him. He's great. I I literally put money on MVP odds for the guy. But in fantasy circles, I had a hard time making a case that he could be anything better than an 8. And really, let's be honest, most people looking at him outside the first round.
2: Yeah, exactly. You know, very interesting in the modern era of draft history, uh, which we define as basically since the league merge, 1970. For the first time, eight quarterbacks taken in the top three rounds of the draft. That's never happened before, and it's very interesting. What will that do for our draft odds? What will it do for our prices every week to play Daily Fantasy? But, yeah, again— are you going to find that guy over a 17-week NFL season to be a top-10 performer? I, I, I don't see it. I don't see it with any of these guys in this draft, and there are some terrific long-term prospects. Again, those of you maybe who play in a season-long format, you can franchise the guy, bring him back for year two. That's a very limited strategy, though, because you're really only going to get value, I think, out of that second year, maybe. Um, in DFS, I don't see any plays here unless you know, you're know you in a situation where your quarterback is in a bye. You know, and that's, that's basically your, your your option there, um, so I don't I don't see you know I, I don't see the impact. I'm glad these organizations rebuilt themselves. I'm glad finally the Chicago Bears look like they have a quarterback. Um, these are all great things, but um, it, it you know for the for the, the 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 sports better there wasn't much for you to hold on to from this draft in my opinion. I
0: think if we turn around and you really break down Trevor Lawrence at the end of a first round at a twelve, I don't mind him as my last quarterback, if you back him up with somebody. Because if you really look at it, who's in that 12 range? Brady's in that 12 range. Stafford's in that 12 range. Maybe a Joe Burrow falls to you. Maybe a Baker Mayfield. And you combine him and his upside, because remember, Trevor Lawrence could run, right? Him and his upside... All that now starts to make a little sense. Fields, I don't bet on him starting, and the Bears are still a run-first team. Wilson doesn't have the cast around him. Uh, Trey Lance, run-first team. Mac Jones, run-first team, Chuck, right? I mean, these guys are all run-first teams. They could develop into something later on. But really, when you're looking at it, if I had to pick that second guy, I guess I would be going Wilson just because I expect the Jets to play from behind.
2: Uh, I, I I see that perspective from the Jets. Even though I do like the, the way that that draft ran for them, they did get terrific value with the two first round picks. Uh, you know, from that perspective, yeah, nothing for you here though from DFS.
0: How about the three guys uh, that were taken next? And they're clearly not starters for daily fantasy. Okay, but if you are somebody taking a shot, you go okay. Look, you know, I'm going to take this guy in his dynasty stash. Kyle Trask goes to the Bucs, which I think is just a phenomenal position. Look, they don't have a backup quarterback. They just don't. So maybe at 44 years old they need Trask for a game or two, but he's going to learn. I like that as a long-term late buy. Kellen Mond, not a big fan of his. I think Cousins going to stick around. I don't know if he fits that system. Davis Mills opens some eyebrows right here because Davis Mills – was taken by Houston with their number one pick. Tyrod Taylor is the only guy, if we're assuming that Watson's gone, is the only guy in front of him is Tyrod Taylor. Davis Mills, I can see having a better year next year than some of the guys that were taken in the top five. And I can see Davis Mills turning into one of those guys. Look, maybe he doesn't have a great career overall, but in a fantasy world where Houston has nothing to back him up, I could see him being a valuable play.
2: Totally see me coming back in August when with you guys when we do our Labor Day weekend draft, and I turn around and tell you who was the franchise quarterback selected. It's going to be Mills. I, you see it. I I had complete agreement with you. That's the play there. If you're in a format where you can get him for your second season, it's a great play. Um, yeah, not but not so much for this year, and certainly not nothing for DFS. Yep.
0: People going to call me a Lawrence hater. So let's. L- 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 Who do you got going in front of you? Because we we went over this uh, last week, right? You know, there's the obviouses. There's the Mahomeses. There's, you know, the obviouses. Even Lamar Jackson is an obvious play in front of him. I get it. Dak Prescott, I think, becomes an obvious play. You have your guys. But are you taking a Justin Herbert in front of him? Are you taking a Joe Burrow in front of him Um, coming off of a knee injury? Are you taking a Tom Brady in front of him? Are you taking a Carson Wentz on a new team? A Ben Roethlisberger? A Stafford on a new team? These are the names that I think he's going to be thrown about.
2: Yeah, you know, and do you put Sam Donald ahead of him? I almost think
0: same MVP
2: odds. I can't believe you said it. it's same exact yeah. MVP odds, which is interesting. I found that interesting too. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't put Roethlisberger ahead of him. I think we're on the other side of the the decline there. I don't put Tom. You know, again, how many years we continue to bet against Tom Brady? But again, I don't. I don't go long on Tom Brady in my in my uh, fantasy drafts. I don't do that. I wouldn't put him ahead of him. I I give some consideration to Donald, and believe it or not, I do think— with I, I was blown away by the news that Joe Burrow expects to play in the season opener and he's highly optimistic that he's going to play he is just on top of his physical game he's I, I just don't think that's a puff piece I think it's a realistic thing that he's saying guys I'm going to be back and what a great wide receiver he just added to his arsenal so um, I love that I, I, I'm bringing him back as my franchise guy in my uh, season long fantasy football league I love that guy I, I think I I take burrow and herbert both ahead of him
0: you know i'm so torn just because of this look guys like mayfield guys like stafford run first run first run first you know lawrence is going to throw the ball and we know he's got good receivers to throw the ball too and we generally know that the jacksonville jaguars defense is garbage right we also know he plays in really good weather most of the year I'm taking a higher upside. I'm taking the the the, the gamble with a guy like, like Lawrence. I think I'm taking him, you know, at, at, at about 10. And I know that I'm going to probably have to overshoot for him, but I think I'm taking him. One guy we didn't mention, and this is going to cross over to the next topic here. One guy we didn't mention that I immediately said... I'm going to go throw a couple bucks on his MVP odds. And in Vegas, uh, you know, my buddies in Vegas were like, are you kidding me? I said, 60 to 1 is 60 to 1. And I love the fact that this guy's going to be throwing it all over the field. And I love the fact they have no defense. I love the fact that he's done it before. I love the fact that he plays indoors. I love the fact that he added more weapons. How about Matt Ryan at sixty to one?
2: That makes some sense. Yeah, it does. Uh, Matt Ryan's a great play, and that's a that is a at sixty to one. That's phenomenal. You you gotta you gotta give some thought to that to that prop bet for sure. You know, one other guy I'm pretty high on. I think Miami is really putting some weapons around Tua as well. And I really—that's a guy that, to me, he should go at the top of round two. But you could get some upside there in in, in putting a number two pick on him uh, in the uh, early parts of the second round.
0: You know, they are—and that's a lot of what we're looking at is is what pieces are around them. What are we going to be doing here? Look, we're going to take a quick break now. But I do want to come back, and I want to talk about the guy they went out there and they added— for Mr. Matt Ryan, and that's Kyle Pitts. A couple of tight ends actually went that I think are good landing spots for fantasy. But, guys, my giant warning is this, and I said it last year, said it two years ago, and I'm bound to say it again here. Do not draft rookie tight ends under any circumstances. We're going to talk about that and more right after this. talking about a little NFL post-draft as far as the fantasy community goes. And we got Chuck T., our Rotomill fantasy expert, sitting in with us. We talked about the quarterbacks. I left off saying, do not draft a tight end uh, in his first season. And that is really—look, they have the steepest learning curve. And I know Kyle Pitts is a unicorn, and Kyle Pitts is something different, and Kyle Pitts is something else, and Kyle Pitts this, and Kyle Pitts— I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to say, guys, Kyle Pitts is in an offense where he is at the very least the third passing option, probably the fourth passing option. Julio's going first. Ridley's going second. Maybe Mike Davis is going third. And then you're getting to Pitts. They also look at tight ends differently because these are the guys that have to learn blocking assignments before anything else. He was more almost a wide receiver, so his blocking assignments are going to be a little bit more difficult for him to grasp. So, look. It's real-life football against fantasy football. I see people taking him as the third court, or tight end off the board after Kittle and Kelsey. I think that's nuts. I think it's absolutely nuts. Chuck, I think the guy's going to have a good career. I'm not touching him this year, not even in Dallas, in no no fantasy formats, because I expect his price to be skyrocket.
2: Absolutely. In the modern draft era, 13 tight ends have been taken as high as 10. Okay? There has never been a tight end taken this high with a, f- a four pick since 1972 when Odoms was taken (laughs) in the fifth pick overall. You're going back to 1972 to see this type of history. Now this is a complete hybrid player though. This is a player who really is a wide receiver first and a tight end second. So given that and knowing that set of skills you are correct absolutely in saying he is the four option there. And that's the problem. Therein lies the problem. This is a matchup nightmare. I don't think that other than the Giants' first-round pick of Kadarius Tony, do you? These are the two. I thought the two biggest matchup problems in the draft. These are players that have they 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 fall in a crevice. They're different. They're matchup nightmares for linebackers and and Tony in the slot, and particularly he may be a tailback use use for the Giants as well as a wide receiver option out of the backfield. They're matchup nightmares, and so I think they're both. I think they'll. Perhaps Tony may even have a better rookie season. That's a possibility. But, yeah, they haven't done this with a tight end this high. And, again, only 13 top 10 picks in in the modern era. That's going back to 1970. So 40 years of draft history. Uh, There's a reason behind that. And, you know, again, um, when we go back to the draft history and we go back to the usage patterns, it just is rare. So why do you bet against that?
0: Yeah, Tommy Tremble goes to the Panthers. He's a blocking tight end, guys. Hunter Long goes to the Dolphins. He's already third on his own depth chart. The only other guy that I see maybe making an impact is the kid out of Penn State, Pat Vermuth, who goes to Pittsburgh. Great spot, but not this year. He's not taking over Eric Ebron. So, for me, stay just far away from tight ends. We're not going to stay away from running backs. And I mentioned Pittsburgh. They go out, and they get Najee Harris, this is the guy that Pittsburgh fans wanted. I know we have Levon Kirkland on. He wanted Travis Etienne. I think Etienne's a better player because he's able to catch out of the backfield. But Harris goes to Pittsburgh, dynamic spot. I think immediately, year one fantasy leagues, and I, we're sitting here with Chuck T., our Rotomill fantasy expert. You're going to correct me if I'm wrong. I think immediately, year one fantasy leagues, he becomes a
2: running back too. This is the best match of team need with available talent in the entire first round of this draft. This is the perfect player for them with a role that is just waiting for him. They are ready to embrace this guy. He's going to be a workhorse. He's going to put up terrific numbers. I put him even possibly at the very Top of the second round overall in the draft. Uh, I, you know he he could be that good, and you may want to take him there if you are going to play that franchise second year angle and try to jump ahead of a few other guys because everyone's thinking that angle at, at least in the league that I play. Um, but yet a DFS, it's wide open for this guy. He's going to put up some some. He's going to put up a bunch of one hundred and fifty plus yard days. I see that.
0: And inside the goal line, you know, I, I mean, that's huge. Think about James Conner, uh, what he did just inside the goal line. James Conner was th- this plotting back, and I love James Conner, but he's plotting back. But you know what? Got inside that 10-yard line? Yeah, it's all his. It's not like Ben Roethlisberger's taken off, right? Then you have the next pick, came Travis Etienne in a shocking scenario for me. As a fan, I love it. I love to see Lawrence and Etienne together. But, man, as a fantasy guy, I'm going James Robinson was fantastic last year. And then I hated what Urban Meyer said afterwards. He said, I think James Robinson and Carlos Hyde could split the first two down carries, let Travis Etienne come in and be strictly a third down back. I'm not buying it. Urban Meyer is a liar. Okay? This is garbage. He, Urban Meyer looked at the roster and he said, I don't care what James Robinson did last year. Carlos Hyde has one knee. James Robinson was an undrafted restricted free agent. We know that Travis C. Etienne is an absolute game breaker, and he's got his buddy as the quarterback now. I don't believe Urban Meyer at all. I'm almost inclined to take Travis Etienne just right after Najee Harris, and I'm overpassing all sorts of talent to
2: do that. Yeah, I it, it, it's I discount heavily what Meyer had to say. I, I didn't see it. I didn't I was like I wasn't hearing it. Uh, I agree totally that's a terrific situation, you know I like also too. I do love Denver. Taking Javante Williams. I really do like that pick. That's a terrific player out of North Carolina. I this is a running back that's gonna get a lot of usage this rookie year.
0: My worry with him is this is that Denver has consistently shoved two running backs down our throats. It doesn't matter the coaching staff, doesn't matter the philosophy. They have just consistently uh Gordon and Lindsay, and you know what I mean, the Lindsay and the, they always seem to shove two and and I get it, he's clearly the more talented guy. And maybe he takes the job and he runs with it. Well, that's That would be great. I feel like this is going to be a two-headed running attack again. We're going to get frustrated. We're all going to have Williams on our bench when he goes off for of 130. We're going to play him the next week, and he's only going to get like seven carries.
2: Yeah, I, I, You know what? I see myself playing him maybe after week five, after he doesn't see the full time for the first four games, and they take his his draft prices down on my Let's DFS pick up. plays. Yeah. And, I, and I, go, I go in that angle. Um, I do see this guy, though, by the— the end of the season being the number one featured back, and that's why I like him. Two massive
0: winners that had nothing to do with getting their name called on the night of draft night or the weekend of draft weekend. Miles Gaskins from Miami. Miami just said, we're just not doing it. We're not getting a running back. And I know they added Malcolm Ground. They still have Salvin Ahmed there. But Miles Gaskins, I think he gets bumped up in stock. The only reason I hesitate a little bit there is for this reason, Chuck. Um, their coach, Brian Flores, comes from Bill Belichick. And Bill Belichick was the, the most maddening running back usage guy for fantasy ever. I still think Gaskins gets a bump up. I know Malcolm Brown should get a little bump up as well. I was shocked to see Miami not call a running back.
2: Yeah, um, that was a little bit of a surprise. Wide receiver did feel like a little bit of an, of an overplay. It did seem like that we'd gone to the well with that and we had sufficient depth there. That was a surprise with me as well. Even later on in the draft,
0: grab someone anyway. Uh, look, I like my, I, I like the Huskies, right? I like Miles Gaskins and Malcolm Brown's fine, but you're building an offense. You just talked about it. just building offense, and, and that's their one spot. The other guy that jumps off the page to me, and not only do I think that this player got the best news on draft night, but I think that he has an opportunity. Chuck, hold yourself, hold on, hold on to your chair, man. I think that Mike Davis has a chance to be a top 12 running back this year. And let me tell you why. They did not, the Atlanta Falcons did not draft a running back. Behind Davis, who came over from, you know, free agency... You know who their number two backup right now on the depth chart? Cordell Patterson, who's a wide receiver, right? So Mike Davis, we talked about the Atlanta offense. Look, it all comes back around full circle. Huge offense, huge passing numbers. Uh, you know, it's going to be great for Matt Ryan. He's got tight ends. He's going to have all this. All right, great. We're going to play you know, 10 guys back and put one guy on the line. They got to give it to someone. And Davis not only does that, but he also catches the ball out of the backfield. He's going to be playing on turf. Everything I said about Matt Ryan. Man, I love Mike Davis, he's got no competition behind him.
2: Yeah, I love, I love finding angles like that. That's absolutely the case. This is a a, a guy waiting to bust out. The playing opportunity is there, and you know, I I, I always look at those type of situations for my DFS plays. I'm always looking for, you know, when I've got a when I'm at when I know my last budgeted amount for dollars of what's left. I love when a Mike Davis is out there at a budget price. That's a terrific play. That'll happen and open up this year for you a couple of times in the first, let's call it 6 weeks of the season. How far does uh, James Robinson fall for
0: you? Because a lot of people are taking him as a top ten pick. How far to, to to me? He almost becomes almost untouchable now. Look, if I if he falls to outside the top twenty, I'll of course grab him. But he almost becomes Tariq Cohen territory for me, just because of the uncertainty. Meaning, I won't have James Robinson in any drafts. Yeah, I, it's it's a
2: tough play. I agree with you there. Um, you know, uh, twenty maybe fifteen for me. You know, maybe fifteen, but um, yeah, it's a it's a dro- It's a drop.
0: He's dropping. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. All right, last guy I want to mention with a, about a minute to go here before the break. Trey Sermon goes to the 49ers. Look, I know the Niners have like seven running backs, and they're all pretty good. But guess what? Every one of them's contract ends after twenty twenty two. All of the contracts end. So you know you have Mostert and you have McKinney. You have you you got all these guys that look great. But you know Shanahan plays that hot hand. Maybe Sermon's not somebody that will do much for you the entire year. But I could see him last four, five, six games of the season, getting a bulk of the carries and being a league winner.
2: You know, he just doesn't have, for me though, the breakaway speed that Mostert has, and that that to me, you know, I think Mostert will outproduce him because I think he I think he has that that speed edge over him. You know, that's going to give the bulk of the playing. I think he's gonna it's going to favor Mostert there.
0: Yeah, I like Mostert coming in. I just, I, you know, all of a sudden I looked up and I said, whoa, Mostert's 28 years old, and he's coming off of injuries every year. Now the Niners go draft a running back. Ah, but but I will tell you this. The- the, the Niners running back situation is also a little precarious because if they do give the ball to Trey Lance at any point this year, Trey Lance likes to run, and he likes to run a lot. So you almost get that Cam Newton effect where inside the 10-yard line, it's going to be Trey Lance show. We have fantasy on our mind, and that means Chuck T, our Rotomil fantasy expert, is sitting down. We're breaking down the, the NFL draft, and what are we looking for for daily fantasy? Who are we looking for in draft rooms overall? And uh, look, we, we're talking a little betting as well because Offensive Rookie of the Year comes up we talked about the the quarterback numbers if you want to throw something in for an MVP Justin Fields by the way is number 2 for offensive rookie of the year after of course Trevor Lawrence and there's no mention of Najee Harris, right? He's he's obviously Travis Etienne, Williams, all the guys we talked about. Kyle Pitts is up there, but yeah, his low numbers. So now we get into the wide receivers. Usually in fantasy and usually in a situation if you were going to go bet them for Offensive Rookie of the Year, wide receivers have the most walk into the NFL in production right away, right? I mean, these guys have great situations. I hate every landing spot. For the early guys, man. I really do. I think Cincinnati grabbing Chase was a massive mistake. They should have grabbed Sewell there. He goes to Cincinnati. I still think he's going to be behind T. Higgins. I still think he's going to be behind Tyler Boyd, right? So all of a sudden he's the number three option. I couldn't stand the Miami Dolphins getting Jalen Waddle. Oh, he might be the next Tyreek Hill. He might be the next Tyreek Hill. Yeah, he might be that fast. But They're not that kind of offense. They like to run the ball. They like short passing games. They like Gusecki. He's still after Parker, right? So I think think he's the third option there. And I love the comparisons. Oh, he's going to beat Deshaun Jackson. That's not a good thing. I've had Deshaun Jackson, right, in fantasy before. And, you know, he goes three touchdowns, 170 yards one week. In the next three weeks, he sees six total looks. It's it's terrible. And then you go uh, to... The Philadelphia Eagles, who go get Devontae Smith, I got no. Listen, I think they needed to make the move, but I have absolutely no faith that Hurts could get him the ball. So I just don't like it.
2: I don't like any of these three guys. In fantasy, you won't see him on any of my teams. I thought the best match was the Giants. I thought getting a tough matchup— with his set of skills, he's a real matchup nightmare for linebackers, and he really is a guy that is going to be tough to tackle. He's a little spark plug, a um, little reminiscent for me of uh, you know what what Meggett used to do to defenses as a you know to harken back that memory for Giant fans. And I thought that he was really um, I was so appreciative that Dave Gettleman. Threw the ego out the window this year and didn't feel the need to show everybody how smart he was, but that he decided to let the draft come to him this year, and the results got better, and and that spoke to that. I love that, but I like him as a as a slot option for D- uh, Daniel Jones.
0: See, and and I I'm going to disagree here, and here's why. I don't like him because you already had somebody there. You had Sterling Shepard. That's what he plays. And even in the best-case scenario, this is a run-first team with Saquon who catches the ball out of the backfield. Kenny Galladay is their second option. Evan Ingram might be their third option. So now you're going down the trough and you're going, Tony or Shepard? Look, it's a long-term play that I agree with Gettleman making the move, but I just don't like it from a fantasy perspective.
2: Yeah, um, I, I, I'm, I got, maybe I just fell in love with some of the footage. I don't know what it was, but I saw an element that this Giant team didn't really have in the last two seasons. And I saw that ability to stretch defenses that he would give us that would not, not only make everybody better around him, but I thought that was a, a valuable niche for him to carve out with the Giants.
0: Talking about slot receivers from New York, well, let's talk about Elijah Moore. Now, this was a good pick, I think, for the New York Jets. Jamison Crowder is going to take a massive hit, by the way. He was their slot receiver over the last uh, two years. But, look, it's a cap hit of $11 million, but it's only $1 million in dead money if they release him. I expect they're going to release him, right? So you got Corey Davis, Denzel Mills, Elijah Moore. Davis and Mims are okay, but you take a young quarterback, wants to get that quick release. I think Elijah Moore is a guy to buy.
2: Yeah, And you know, getting back to Chase and, and how Jamar Chase you thought was a bad uh, option there, I thought protecting a young Joe Burrow was more of a, of a valuable play there. And so um, I hated the landing spot there for Chase as well, because I just didn't think it was an organizational need to go there.
0: Going to throw out some more here. Rondell Moore, Arizona Cardinals, right? Uh, Larry Fitzgerald most likely retiring. So all of a sudden that slot opens up. Rondell Moore in a pretty good offense. That's a good play. And I think Terrence Marshall from Carolina. uh, Curtis Samuel leaves in free agency, okay? We know how much Sam Donald loved the slot receiver. We just talked about Jamison Crowder. All of a sudden Terrence Marshall kind of becomes that guy I'd rather wait. Instead of getting a a guy like Chase, a guy like Smith, a guy like Waddle, and and having to overpay, I'll wait on guys like
2: Moore and Marshall. That second round, there was a lot of picks that went to the wrong teams. It it happened so badly there. But Terrace Marshall was a good matchup. I love the LSU guy, and I I, I, I love his skills to match up for that team.
0: Long-term, Tutu Atwell from the Rams—he makes a lot of sense. Woods and Cup right now. Van Jefferson, I get it, right? Um, but we're hearing Tavon Austin type of speed from Atwell, and you know <laughs> that McVay will love to use that. So, to me, the wide receivers overall. Eh, I don't like their landing spots. I really don't. I don't see myself landing a wide receiver. Probably not going to be landing a tight end in this in this draft for the rookies. I obviously I like Harris. I like ETN. I'll take a stab at Williams if he falls to me. And the quarterbacks, I'm Trevor Lawrence or nobody, even though I'm a Bears fan with Fields. So I think overall it was almost an uninspired. It was the best draft. But as far as betting options, as far as daily fantasy, I'm not sure I'm gonna have a lot of rookies in my lineup.
2: No no dream matchups like you have with Pittsburgh and that running back. You know, that that's a such a great match. You know, the one thing though that I would play sneaky play for me is the fact that I see the Kansas City Chiefs number two wide receiver slot wide open and in the sixth round they did go down and get a very nice productive wide receiver in Cornell Powell out of Clemson that's a good pick and I think that that's a guy who could win a job that obviously you didn't get that with these premium picks in the first three rounds, and that's Kansas City's M.O., and that's a perfect marriage. Keep an eye on that name. That's a guy who could provide you value in DFS. You'll get this guy, you know, $3,100 on a Sunday. You'll find those picks. All right. We are here with Chuck T.,
0: our Rotomill fantasy expert, but we're talking a little bit of football, so I have to get into the real world of football with you, right? And the real world of football we're talking about Aaron Rodgers right now. And Aaron Rodgers, the news blows up that Aaron Rodgers wants out. Apparently, he was uh, comparing his general manager to Jerry Krause, uh, you you know, the, the old Chicago Bulls guy. He doesn't shock me. He doesn't. Look, I've always bashed on Aaron Rodgers. And people go, why do you bash on him? Even in the book, Rob Mish wrote a book and included me in a book and he's got to take a shot because he's a Green Bay fan. And he goes, well, Tom just takes blind shots at Aaron Rodgers. It's not blind shots. It's the idea that... I don't think he's a good leader. He's got all the skill in the world. This is another example of it. You, you're you counting how many days you're in Green Bay. Yeah, he did that. He wants the GM fired. He doesn't like the direction of the team. This is a guy that complains every year about no defense. They go out, they draft defense, and he doesn't like that either. So let me give you some odds here. Will Aaron Rodgers take the first snap of the Packers at the start of the 2021 NFL season? Yes is Started at minus 500, it's down to about 225, okay? So people are starting to look at it. I think Aaron Rodgers almost has to be a Packer. I can't imagine them letting him go, and it's a unique situation because they don't have an owner to do it. But the Broncos are in play. The Raiders are in play. Washington's in play. Maybe the Dolphins are still in play. Stranger things have happened. Aaron Rodgers wants out. I don't believe that they can get him out of there. Chuck, what's your feeling on Rodgers?
2: Denver all the way. Can I get a prop bet on him going to Denver? Denver would be plus uh, 200.
0: So you get double your money back if you take Denver. Packers are about minus 200. So if you think he's leaving and you like Denver, you're going to get two to one your money back on the Denver Broncos, who have two huge receivers, who have a general manager in John Elway that did this once before when he took Peyton Manning and he brought him to two Super
2: Bowls and he's got a ring because of it, uh, plus two to one for the Broncos. It's a John Elway play. John Elway play all the way. That's what I saw when, I, when, 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 when uh, he acted up yet again. And this is three years running with this guy. I mean, if it's not the coach he's complaining about, it's, you know, he questioned, he questioned the authenticity of the coach. He's a spoiled his, brat. Yeah, he's, he is that, you know, he is that uh, dislikable uh, sp- sports star that makes the back pages for all the wrong reasons, for sure.
0: Plus 850 to go to the Raiders. And I do Raiders talk and I you know I do Vegas radio and they're drooling over Aaron Rodgers. And we know that John Gruden is a guy that absolutely loves Aaron Rodgers. We know that Gruden and Derek Carr, they've had a little bit of problems there. Um, Aaron Rodgers wants to be in the spotlight. He doesn't want to sit up in the middle of Wisconsin anymore. You know, while Denver's nice, it's still cold. It's in the mountains. He's got to enter a division with Herbert and
2: Mahomes. They're playing snow. Well, (laughs) the Raiders,
0: you know, you got to play against them, but at least you get to hang out on the strip in Vegas.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, uh, I have... I have the Raiders as a serious possibility, but I, uh, I, I, in my priority, I thought Denver would make the move, I think. But those are two strong personalities between Elway and Gruden, so, you know, it, it who wants it more is what it's going to come down to. Now, those are two decent bets, though. You know, what worries
0: me about the whole Rodgers thing, if I'm Aaron Rodgers, okay, is my skill set is declining. You know, as I get older, look, maybe it didn't last year, but it's going to clearly. And I have to make a choice because my career is going to be defined by what I do next, because Tom Brady just said, look, you could win on year one when you go to a different team. So do I go head to head with Brady and stay in the NFC? Okay, And if he beats me again on a different team, my legacy is completely shot. Or do I have to go to the AFC and go take on Mahomes? And now all of a sudden I'm going to be compared to Mahomes. And especially the teams that are looking at the two favorites are the Broncos and Raiders that play in Mahomes' division. So can you imagine Aaron Rodgers going to Kansas City and not winning the division? Forget about a Super Bowl. Right
2: right no that he's uh he is a little bit in between a rock and a hard place if you if you look at it if he was a smart guy he wouldn't have done this he he really he there was not a smart no, guy there was no he's not a chess player. He's a checkers guy.
1: <laughs> well,
0: speaking of check. Well, if he's a checkers guy, then Deshaun Watson's playing with Plato.
2: Okay, yeah.
0: <laughs> Deshaun Watson's another guy. Where will Deshaun Watson go? Look, I think we have to look at this when We're we're not uh, in the legal terms here, Chuck. We got to look at this just as sports fans and say he's getting a suspension at yeah. the very least. I, you know, is it a six game? Is it an eight game? Is it a four game? We don't know. But Deshaun Watson is more than likely off of the Houston Texans. We saw that move play out on draft day. Deshaun Watson, forget about what we think of him. We can think he's a scumbag. We can think all this stuff. General managers will take a shot on him uh, immediately, and they'll trip over themselves to do so. So we have to look at this, take our emotions out, and say Deshaun Watson on a team is going to make them better. Who's the team that Deshaun goes to? Is Miami still that team in play? Because I'm thinking Miami might be, and I'm thinking Washington is a quarterback. away. I love Fitzpatrick, but they have a huge defense, big-time weapons with McLaren and Gibson and whatnot. Washington might be a player
2: here, too. Do you see him fitting in with Rivera, though? That's the concern for me. Ron Rivera's a very strong personality, very... Very uh, morally grounded, and that, to me, is a, is a, is a problem with Rivera. Rivera's a very, Everyone's
0: morals are great until yeah. you can get a Super Bowl ring in front of you. Know. And
2: again, you know, it, it's going to matter—you know, the owner has a lot of input in that town, so we know that. And so, um, you know, that's, that's the concern. I think Miami almost looks—grades out to me as the better option. Yeah, I, I, look, I, I think he's going to wind up somewhere.
0: Um, where they're going to have to take a hard look. We may not have them for the year, but on a long-term buy, we're a very forgiving society. On a long-term buy, Chuck, we're a very forgiving league. We've had, you know what I mean, Michael Vick play. We've had all of these type of uh, situations out there, right? And guys still just keep. You know, strapping up their laces and going out there. It's going to be really interesting. The NFL season is now the hot stove. I mean, it really is. Oh, We have no idea what's going to happen in the future of the hot stove. Let's go bet to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay,
2: all right. Bet, bet to, the back to the future.
0: All right guys, bet to the future. What team will Aaron Rodgers be playing on week 1 of the 2020 NFL season? Yeah, you could bet on this. And by the way, I don't see a prop play for retirement out there. I, I I don't see retirement out there. Tom Brady walks into the league and everyone goes, "Yeah, I might be might might have to retire, right?" Drew Brees is out, Aaron Rodgers. Well, let's talk about it. Packers minus 200, Broncos a plus 200. They are the leading Team if he goes somewhere else. Raiders plus 850. Browns 10 to 1. Saints 20 to 1. Washington and the Dolphins 25 to 1. Panthers 28 to 1. And the Chargers are 35 to 1. That is bet to the future. Now guys, I, I don't see any reason why the Chargers should be on this list. And I don't think the Panthers should either. Look, they're not going to turn down uh, you know, an opportunity with Sam Darnold, but they just kind of signed him to an extra year. Are they going to see this? Is where you get into a tough situation with the Rodgers thing because the Packers don't really want another quarterback in return. Because you could say, well, you could take Darnold, but well, we, we don't really want him. We want Jordan Love. That's why we drafted this guy. The Browns, attend 10 to 1, doesn't make any sense either. You know, look, Mayfield's their guy. Let, let's just be clear. So the Packers leading the way. I can't see this guy not being a Packer, but Brett Favre came out. He said his gut is that he won't be a Packer. That's an interesting development. I don't really see the Saints getting into this, although that's fun for people to think about. I think the Giants are a team that no one's talking about, no one's paying attention to. The Giants have the weapons. The Giants would make some sense. Washington makes almost too much sense. I love Ryan Fitzpatrick, but Washington has a Super Bowl defense, and they have some young guys with Gibson and McLaren. Washington could win that division. Remember they were a playoff team last year. Washington actually pushed Tampa Bay. I mean— they pushed him for a little while. The Dolphins are always a team because nobody believes in Tua. But to me, this does come down between three teams. Either he stays back with the Packers. Denver is the team. It just makes sense, like me and Chuck talked about. And the Raiders, you know Gruden goes crazy about these guys. The Raiders make some sense. I still can't get around in my head that Aaron Rodgers will not be on this team. I can't think about it. I just I can't. I can't believe it. Look, I hope so, but I can't believe it. So I think Rodgers stays, uh, but there's enough money out there to make me say maybe I might take a shot at the Raiders. The Raiders would be the team I would make some investment towards. All right, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed. Thank you again to Ben Golliver and to Chuck T. I'm Tom Barton for Wagering Week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that.